0: Developers, 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 developers.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Jess Chadwick. I'm Todd Slater. And I'm Chris Gomez. And we are your hosts. We're recording this on the evening of December 20th, 2015. And in this episode. In light of the holiday season, the three of us are going to sit down in our big comfy chairs around a roaring fire, pour some eggnog, and do a little bit of uh, reminiscing and talking about some of the major screw-ups that uh, each of us have had in our careers. Uh, that should be fun to, to hear about, but more importantly, we'll talk about what it was that made those screw-ups so memorable and what we learned from them. Uh, so Todd, you actually have a story that you've you've told me a couple of times. Do you want to kick us off with that one?
2: Yeah, so... um. My first story is something that happened very early on in my career. So I worked at a company maybe only for about a week, and I got tasked with taking over some of the older systems and making some updates to it, some bug fixes and things. So we went looking for the source code, and at the time, this is a very small company, early 90s, there was no source control. Now, I went digging for the source control or source code. We couldn't find the code, couldn't find the code, and eventually they handed me this book, this big printout of all the source code. And they swore, this is all the source code. <laughs> nice. I'm like, okay, great. Um, but we also have backups off-site. And people actually pay for us to keep these backups off-site. So I'm like, okay, cool. How do we get to this off-site code? So me and the – I think it was the CEO of the company – drove like an hour away to this super secret location where you actually couldn't walk more than 10 feet before someone checks you. So we get there. We park. We go in. they. Pat you down all this stuff, and you go to the elevator, and you come down the elevator, and another group of people check you out. And eventually, you get into this little room where they hand you this big box. It's kind of like a, I think if you go to your bank where you get a safe deposit box, and it had disks and disks and disks of things in there. Well, lo and behold, the software wasn't there. So I'm like, okay, great. I got to fix this bug, but there's no source code. So eventually, we got back, and I was talking to my boss at the time, and he goes, I don't know what we're going to do. And I'm like, well, there's the printout. <laughs> He goes, you want to start typing? And I'm like, okay, sure. So I took this, I don't know, 200-page printout, started with line one, started typing over and over and over again. No. And after about a week and a half, and the code not compiling and kind of guessing what the code was, I eventually got this thing to run.
0: And what did it print out? Hello, world?
2: Hello, (laughs) No, it was not hello, world.
0: Are you sure the printout (laughs) wasn't from uh, 33 computer games in basic book?
2: Uh No, it was Quick Basic and DOS, by the way. That's oh, a whole okay. other story. And this was scientific software. So I had to guess on some of the calculations, too. That was fun. The idea of the story is don't just rely on someone else saying, oh, there's a backup somewhere. Or there's something there. Make sure as you develop your own software – I mean, in modern times, we have source control, right? Make sure the source control is being backed up. But even back in those days, have redundancy. Make sure you have some level of redundancy. And if you're at a place – you suspect they may not have a level of redundancy, you better be the level of redundancy. Um, yeah. When I used to consult one of our consulting companies I worked at before, we used to actually keep versions of the software around for that same reason. In case of someone's like, We don't know how to have the source code, you guys never checked it in. And we're yeah, like, Well look, right. we have it here. Here's a go you know, we have the source code.
0: Yeah, you can never be too careful. Or even at the code in source control is actually the code that people use. Yeah well right? that's a whole like- story. <laughs> 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 That's probably there's probably some stories there, too. You know, I, it's totally this is not personal experience. But I've, um I've heard that at some game companies, uh, you got to go back a little ways, is that uh, it's not uncommon at all. And this may not just be game companies to keep the server around that you did the final gold build on the actual physical hardware, just because sometime in the future <laughs> Um, maybe for some kind of re-release or a port or something like that, you realize, yeah, you know, we don't even know if we can build the machine that we built this software on anymore. There was an author I read who worked on some popular games from the past and he talked about actually they would, they would go and bubble wrap the build server a year after it released. And, and we're we're talking about <laughs> literally bubble wrap. Yeah. And then they'd go put it in a basement somewhere and market and be oh, like, you know, we never yeah. know we might need to pull this thing out of storage in six years or something. But it's funny. You, talk, you talked a lot about preparedness, right. And being prepared for anything. And that reminds me a lot of, um, the the story I had when I worked on a product called Disneyland forever, which I'm really pop proud of this little part of my career. So people who know me have probably already heard me talk about it, but it was a product that was, Um, it was a guest experience at the Disney parks in the U S where a guest could come and use a touchscreen kiosk. And this was in the late nineties. So kind of early for this stuff. Um, and they could, they would basically be presented with a map of the park. And as they drilled into a land, they could pick rides. And as they picked a ride, they would actually be able to, to listen to the sounds and songs and music of that ride. So you can imagine the music of small world, or even the narratives inside Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, the music playing in the queues at Space Mountain, or the area music at Main Street, so on and so on. And um, you could even select some of these tracks and make your own CD. And we had a CD-burning robot right in the store, would burn the CD. Kind of neat stuff for like 1997, 98. And it was actually quite a hit with the locals in Anaheim. Um, they wanted to go to the parks and make CDs of all their favorite stuff and take them home and whatever. And this project landed in my lap. Um, it was the project that launched a company that I worked for. And as we were as a company moving on to build the version two, that was going to be awesome. We're going to take over the world with this CD burning kiosk stuff. They took me, the young guy and said, Hey, um, we want you to keep maintaining the Disney product, there's going to be more features that they need, more special events, and we want you to take the lead on that and uh, basically draw in the developers you need um, to, to get little projects done while the main focus of the company was supposedly shifting. And so what that often meant was spending the night at Disneyland. And for, I think... <laughs> nice. I, is that a good thing? Or a well, bad thing. <laughs> you know, for a, young, for a kid who grew up in Anaheim, um, it, that was kind of like a dream come true the first time, yeah. Right. And then <laughs> the first night, and then yeah. about and the hundred uh, and tenth time, and it then it wasn't so cool anymore. But um, so there was a special event coming up. What Disney started doing is their Imagineers would tie a special event at the park to releases of new music and sound. And uh, one of them was going to be Pirates of the Caribbean. And they were releasing every part of the ride in fact if you bought the special pirates of the caribbean cd they had it mixed in such a way that it was almost like you were on the attraction it would each character that had like a special line or something would step forward in their part of the track we were also upgrading the systems to use full color printing on the cds uh, and color laser printers that were going to print the jewel cases in color so we were moving from a black and white system we were printing black and white on these cds and stuff color it was a pretty big upgrade new hardware new software i had kind of pulled some developers who i knew had worked on different things and and gotten them to build the software and i spent weeks testing because the way things worked at disneyland was they closed the park and i think it was maybe like 11 and not only was this special event the next day Crazed annual pass holders were going to be lined up outside the store waiting to buy this new yeah, special yeah. limited edition CD that yeah. was going to be burned on our hardware.
2: We basically had six hours <laughs> and we had to do two do you stores. Have nightmares of Mickey Mouse chasing you down.
0: <laughs> we, we basically had six hours and it had to get done. Right. And there were two stores in Disneyland. And um, there was a hardware technician that worked with me. And his name was Kurt. And we both worked really, really hard to prepare. We, he built a lab where he tore the thing down. He could reset it to what we thought was the current state, and we were actually about 99% right. Um, and we would test upgrading everything, changing hardware, and then he'd put it all back and we test it again. And we must have done this for a week and we thought we were super, super prepared. And remember how I said that we were about 99% right about that lab right. we set up in in <laughs> in preparation? There was one thing we didn't realize. And these weren't servers you could dial into, right? There was no internet connection. We were sort of not guessing, but we had a good idea of what we were going to find when we got there. So it was probably about two thirty, three o'clock in the morning when when I'd kind of hit a wall and said, "I think we're," I kind of think we're screwed. And I was really scared <laughs> because nice. I'm thinking we're going to let down Disney. I'm going to let down my boss. I don't really know what to do. And the reason why is the database upgrade. In store on the in store manufacturing system, that SQL script didn't work. Like just mm. nothing was working as far as making CDs. And I was positive that I just think that SQL script didn't work, but we don't have a monitor for that system. I, I can't even like put in a key. I can put in a keyboard. I could put in a mouse, but I can't, I don't know what to do. I can't remote into it. I have no way to do it. And fortunately, the hardware tech, the hardware tech Kurt said, hold on a second. And I'm telling you, like something out of Mission Impossible. He takes a briefcase out and sets it down. And when he opens it up, there's a padded, there's a padding inside, like, like it might be holding something really precious. And he takes out these goggles that don't look all that much unlike Oculus Rift goggles do today. Uh-huh. Attached to them is a VGA cable. It was a toy that they got the hardware technicians so that they could plug into the server systems. And he thought to bring it. So I put this thing on and it's a VGA monitor over my eyes, plug into this server that I have no way to connect to, just like I'm in the matrix or something. And it's like, okay, hold on. Let's open the, let's open the database, but wait a second. I don't have any SQL tools on this machine. So now I'm sunk again. And he says, no, 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 don't worry. And out of his backpack comes, remember how MSDN used to come on 400 million CDs yeah. Well, out of yes. his backpack becomes every CD and piece of software you could imagine, and he was just like, well, "What do you need?" Now look, he saved my life, right? And I even remember yeah. years later writing this recommendation, like, "You got to hire this guy. He's so prepared." So we installed like a SQL Studio. He looked around
2: the MSDN collection.
0: <laughs> yeah, we installed SQL Studio right on the box, and we, oh, God, look, this is all the stuff you're not supposed to do, right? We're in production, yeah. just being like, ah. And yes, sure enough, sure enough, it was just a stupid mistake and like a column name, whatever, got it fixed. And this is all kind of coming together at 530 in the morning and where, you know, (laughs) the Disney workers are starting to come in saying like, hey, how's it going? Uh, it's It's good. It's going great. It's pretty good. And we finally, I, I mean, I'm telling you, we were pushing like 6.45, 6.50. The doors are opening on this Main Street store supposedly at 7. It was literally us like at 6.57, the test CD popping out of the hopper <laughs> saying like, <laughs> okay, this is all working, and shoving the kiosks yeah. back into their consoles, locking things down, taking all the equipment out, taking the cool Matrix monitor glasses <laughs> and putting them back in the Mission Impossible briefcase and getting <laughs> out of there. Back up. But you know what? It was really all about preparedness and how um, we prepared like crazy before we got there. And I have to admit, thanks to my partner's preparedness, was the last little piece that kept – I mean, we snatched – victory from really the jaws of defeat and what would have been a pretty bad opening. But that was a pretty funny story. And I really, uh, that, I, I think about yeah, that all that the awesome. time about how <laughs> how well that worked out.
1: That's awesome. I actually, I wasn't intending to tell this story, but as you're telling your story, I had... Uh... I had a similar experience. it wasn 't nearly as as funny or as awesome and the 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 uh, spoiler alert for my story is that we just hacked the hell out of it and it happened to work. but <laughs> it was the same thing. We were at like a trade show, and the way it was is they had like this curtained off section um, it was like a it was like a square curtain um, and so you could like sit inside of the thing, and then all the booths were around the square and so our thing our our device was outside this is a startup that never really took off um, and it was set up and I'm um, in the back. We This was after a whole night of, you know, we had been up for, for 24 hours already coming into this thing and then we're setting up at like 3 in the morning uh, and then we were supposed to go live at 8 and the event planners at like 7 o'clock were like peeking behind the curtain and they're like, hey, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're not really supposed to be back here anymore. And I'm like hacking away at my laptop and he's like, yeah, you're almost ready. You're going to be good. You're like, yeah, yeah, no, we're fine. No, we're not fine at all. <laughs> no, we're close. <laughs> And then finally, like five minutes before, hit the last compile, push it to the device, go and test it real quick. Good enough for a trade show. We're gone. Let's get out of here. And it was, it was, it was down to the wire, just like your story. It was yeah. Crazy. But that's actually not the story that I was planning on telling. My first story was actually um it, it was it was related to a da- database it's funny that that your story had uh, a lot to do with the database at least the first thing that you you came across the first issue c- you came across was like a production database that you didn't have access to mine was a production database that I should not have had access to but I did so like this was my first job out of school Um, Well, actually, it was it was actually a paid internship. So I wasn't even out of school yet. But like, I'm I'm hacking away. I'm on the development team. I'm the I'm the junior. I mean, I'm the intern. I'm like, you know, I I shouldn't be trusted with anything. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of situation where like, I should be writing code on my machine and like, handing it on a floppy to somebody else who can actually look at it before it goes anywhere near source control or anything. But you know, I'm on my dev machine. I had access to pretty much anything and I wanted to test my application. I wanted to test my changes. So I ran at it and I pointed it to the production database, right? Because why not? Um, and so I like read some records, modified some things, deleted some things, and they were all test accounts. So it didn't matter because we had test accounts for this kind of testing in production. Uh, I mean, at least that's what I, I thought that we had them. <laughs> I thought that's why we had the, the production connection string like checked into source control, oh, no. you know? You were told they're test accounts, <laughs> right? <laughs> So, yeah, so then I'm, you know, I'm just fooling around and then I accidentally in my testing just inserted like a, I created a, like a couple hundred test records in the database I, and I don't remember how, cause this was like 20 years ago. So I think, I think I actually did like write a SQL script or something cause I wanted to test a bunch. I wanted to add a, a bunch for testing or something. Um, and then after I was done, that was all fine. Like at this point it was totally fine. Nothing, there was no problem at all. Right. Um, but I didn't want to take up space in the database. So I decided yeah. to delete them, sure. right? Because it's just test accounts, you know, Test accounts in the database, yeah, right. I was being, I was being con- conscious, right? I was, I was being, uh, yes. yeah. Turning I wanted to clean up after myself, yeah. And so, like, so I sit down, and you know, I'm an intern, so I'm like, I, I got to make a really, really nice SQL statement. I'm even at this point in my career, I'm like really taking pride in like my code and everything. And so, like, I diligently like constructed my delete statement, right? Like, delete from accounts where id is greater than like ten thousand or something right um and in fact i constructed it so diligently and so cleanly that i wrote it on two separate lines right so i had the delete from account on the first line and then the where clause on the second line (laughs) right nice and clean and readable and then i ran it and i'm sitting back and i'm like well you know what's this is taking a while like what's what's (laughs) taking so long like, this is a really long time to delete 200 records, but whatever. Like, maybe it's slow or something. And then finally, it finished with the message, deleted 10,274 yeah. rows. And I'm just, you know, that, that like, wash of just, you know, fight or flight just comes over you, right? And so I go to my boss, and I knock on his door, and he's, he's busy with something. I'm like, I think I deleted the production database. And he goes... <laughs> What? And I'm like, well, I was I was doing some testing, and I wrote a delete statement. I I think that I I deleted all the accounts in the in the production database.
0: In case he didn't hear you, yeah. Let me explain. So, I I was saying the production database. (laughs) All the accounts. <laughs> no, all of them. No, all you're of them. kidding. No, no. All of them. Yes, the accounts.
1: The accounts, yes. Uh, uh. Yeah, Well. and so, I mean, to his to his credit, he was totally cool. He was like, all right, well, let, let's see. So he logged in. I'm sure he just – I was a stupid intern. So he's like, he doesn't know what the production <laughs> database is. Like, he doesn't even know how to write a SQL statement that will delete <laughs> accounts in the production database. Like, I'm sure he's like, yeah, hey, whatever. And so I just kind of, like, went back to my desk, and he came over later. He's like – yeah, you you deleted all of the accounts in the production database. But luckily, we had a pretty aggressive, like, backup strategy. And so they were able, they never, because I'm the freaking intern, so they didn't tell me, but they were able to, like, go in. And I think between a mixture of, like, backups and, like, replaying some things, they were able to uh, to get it back. But that, yeah, I dodged a, a bullet there, definitely. But so my the moral of that story for me is don't well. First of all, don't give a developer access to the production database at all. But I mean, that's fine. You know, maybe sometimes you do. If, if you're in a small shop and you know you have developers that are wearing multiple hats, then yeah, sure. But absolutely never give the intern <laughs> access to the production <laughs> database. Yeah, yeah. Because I had uh I had a similar experience later on too. It's not a full blown story, but it, I had a junior guy on the team who went and. What, this was Todd, this was where we worked together Todd is uh Oh yes. <laughs> he ended up like taking down the production site. It, he didn't even have access to the database I don't think. But he he ended up taking down the production site cuz he was doing like penetration testing or something and he eventually <laughs> just ended up doing a denial of service attack on our own site <laughs> nice.
0: inadvertently. And he's like, "Well, well the pen test does show that we're vulnerable to denial of service." <laughs> See, I told so, you guys. I suspected it I, and it was true. <laughs> yes. So I proved that. (laughs) Oh, we used to do stuff. I mean, you got to go back to like the 56k modem days and maybe even a little bit earlier than that. And if you were in the middle of a quake match, we had this, we had this program that would, we had this piece of software we wrote where we could basically get anyone on the other team logged off just by putting in their IP and it would send a message (laughs) to all the other players on our team to port flood that account yeah. and look but. over fourteen four. that was pretty effective right if like yeah. 12 yeah. of us port flooded him he's gone and oh what happened to him <laughs> oh he's your best player well <laughs> i hope you do oh, okay well. for the next five minutes while he's trying to get back in <laughs> look we're catching up
2: so the next story i had on my list of things is we've all done our fair share of speaking and i'm sure we all have some kind of horror story related to speaking is one that still to this day baffles my mind it happens so it was the very first silly code camp which for some strange reason was two days and they had people talking at like seven eight o'clock at night and i was one of the very last talks on saturday nice so i went around all day getting ready to do my talk i think i was all prepared I was doing to talk at chairpoint web parts i was like this is my first talk i'm gonna totally rock it it's all gonna be great and i'm sitting there with the other guy in front of me he finishes his talk he's he goes out because he has to go off and do something i go up put my laptop on, fire up my virtual machine, the running SharePoint, everything's going good for about 40 minutes. All of a sudden, my battery says it's almost out of power. And I'm like, okay, I thought I had full power, whatever. So I'm looking around for a plug and I plug my laptop in and my my mind like, oh, now it's charging. I'll be perfectly fine. 10 minutes later, I get another warning that the power's almost gone. I'm like, what is going on? So I went and found another plug and plugged into there. And I'm going and going and going. And all of a sudden my machine's like, I'm just going off yep, now. you of power. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is going on? I don't understand. So eventually I reboot it and it was just enough power for it to get everything back up and running. And I start talking again and then went away again. And I'm like, Alright, I'm talking about building SharePoint web parts in SharePoint, and now I don't have a computer. What am I gonna do? Yeah. So I don't remember all the details exactly, but I ended up trying to describe how to do this on a whiteboard. And the funny thing is it was like eight o'clock, eight thirty at night. I had, like, 25 people in the room. Only, like, four people left. Oh, I nice. I actually think they felt so sorry for me trying to do this. Yeah, nice. So eventually, after I was all done, basically whiteboarding, had to build web parts in SharePoint, I'm, like, looking around going, why are these plugs working? And I'm, like, calling people in and stuff. Well, here, the plugs were tied onto a switch on the wall. You have I have some in my house. If you turn the switch off, it takes uh-huh. the power away from the plugs. Uh-huh. Well, when the other speaker left, he turned it off and <laughs> <I> never <laughs> told me to turn it back on. So I'm sort of going like, how could I have no power? <laughs> More than anything else, you've got to almost triple and double check, right? Yeah. I mean, Jeff, you're talking about deleting things in a database. If you would just verify what you uh-huh. were doing at the time, uh-huh. you may have avoided that, that walk to your boss. Yeah. Well, let me let me
0: see. Did you know that if you just highlighted the top line and hit F5, like is it that you didn't know that that was going to happen or? <laughs> Because it sounds yeah, I think like that is, it sounds that's, like that's what out. happened. Yeah.
1: That's when I found out. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, it you only can, runs the highlight <laughs> code.
0: That's, Excellent. That's handy. That's the more- <laughs> I don't understand. That's actually handy. I'll remember that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> After
2: this blows over. This.
0: And I'm allowed to write sequel ever again. <laughs>
2: No, to this I think, day, Jess hates writing sequel. Now we know why.
1: Oh, yeah. I've always hated writing SQL. That, yeah, that, <laughs> thank you, Todd. Look, this is like a therapy session, man. Yes. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I finally realized I'm getting to the root of why I hate well, writing SQL. I know you have some horror stories
2: YouTube. related to just trying to speak on Azure in your oh, air talks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Azure. I won't do I won't do Azure talks. Um, I'll do Azure development, sure. I won't do Azure talks. I won't do SharePoint talks. I won't do Biz, Talk talks. I think mean, I've, I mean, I've talked on the show before about how, uh, you know, how painful SharePoint and BizTalk have been for me. I bet that's why those people st- stayed in your talk, Todd. Is that uh, you're really just demonstrating how painful it is to do SharePoint development at that point? It was nothing. Again- yeah. Well, for as much pain as I've experienced with SharePoint, I've actually had uh, more pain with BizTalk, and one one project in particular. Um, Again, it was this. It was the same company that I had uh, issues with with the website and the junior guy uh, taking down the website. But I was I was working on a BizTalk solution, and um, nobody had done it. This was like the first BizTalk uh, application that that we'd done in this organization. Nobody had really done BizTalk development or anything, and it was a pretty. I think it was like the e-commerce portal or something like that. It was like our online store um and so we were we were building this pipeline in BizTalk. you build pipelines you put pieces together and and so this this project was supposed to take like three weeks four weeks or something like that and it was basically just me it was pretty much me i had like half of the time of some other developer um but it was basically just me and so four weeks into it i'm like halfway done and my daily status was, yeah, I, I don't know when I'm going to be done. I'm like, I, I'm not done yet. That's what I can tell you for certain. I don't know when I'm going to be done. It's taking me forever. If we have a baseline.
2: You're not done yet. <laughs> I'm not
1: done yet. Definitely not done yet. I know that for sure. Um, it, but it, it was just taking me forever to do everything because I was – as I was, I was building it incrementally, like I started at the beginning of the pipeline and build step one, build step two, build step three. And so now I'm like at step 10 and – when you and i had a bug at at step 10 right and so when you when you build biztalk this it's one of those things where you like kick up the whole server and like you start up the whole biztalk server and then you load your assemblies you load your orchestration and then do whatever it is the trigger it is to uh kick off your workflow and doing all of that like just starting up the thing took like 2 minutes just starting up the server cuz again of course you know i'm on this crappy developer a developer machine that that just had, you know, two gigs of RAM and, and some crappy uh, CPU or something. Um, so it took just two minutes just to load up BizTalk, talk and then like another minute or two to run through the whole pipeline until I got to step 10 where I could like actually attach my debugger and it would it would break. And so it was just this, you know, going over and over again, change this line, like change one line of code, run the whole thing again, wait five minutes, you know, hit my debugger. Oh, no, I screwed that up. Right. And just over and over and over again. And that was probably the most painful experience. Because first of all, I had to go every day into my manager's office and say, you know, I'm not done yet. And I have absolutely no idea. I know that I'm two weeks over, right? My initial estimate. I'm not done yet. I have no idea how much longer I'm going to take. And I'm sure he felt, you know, captured because, you know, he couldn't do anything. He was just, okay, well, keep working, right? Um, But... Then about a year later, I have this epiphany where I'm like, "Wow, I didn't have to write that BizTalk orchestration step 1, step 2, step 3, step 10 and then execute the whole thing. Like, if I had done that properly, if I'd broken it down and used TDD and actually like written step 10 as an isolated thing that I could go and test directly, I would have been done in 2 weeks. Like literally 2 weeks. Like, it it would it would have been made that much of a difference. And uh Ever since then, I mean, that that has, again, We I joked earlier about my kind of psychological, uh, you know, figuring out things that have affected me deeply. That's one of those things where I just, it's my instinct to break everything down, just completely decompose the problem. Uh, and I can really bring it back to that one kind of horror story where I just was on this project forever because I just, for one single reason, that I didn't deconstruct the problem. I didn't take
0: it step by step. Yeah, you couldn't work in isolation or test in isolation. I've been been in the place before where, you know, you're new to like a certain code base or project or something. And and it takes you a little while to realize that in order to test something, you're opening a browser, logging into a website. You know, you're like going through the motions of being a user instead of realizing, man, this code base needs to be broken down so I don't have to work this way. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And as a developer, we just get used to that pain. Yeah, you know, like we don't even take it as pain. We're like the development is painful, and okay, you know, yeah, I got to run the site, I got to click through it, or for me, development's painful. I got to wait five minutes for the thing to start up. What else am I going to do? Right, it's a BizTalk orchestration. Of course, it has to run
0: in BizTalk. Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do to to speed up my workflow? Uh, or have you ever gotten in that conundrum of, well, I could do some work to speed up my workflow, but I want to get this done, and is it worth the time sink or the time effort? Yeah,
2: right. I don't know how many times I've watched other developers like launch their browser and log back in. and It's just like, what? Yeah, right. Yep, <laughs> right. There's another way to do yep. this. Don't go 10 steps into the process to check to see if the button worked. Yeah. It, it's funny how probably 99% of developers I've run into are all fairly intelligent people. But we seem sometimes to miss the obvious way to make our lives easier.
0: You know, I was thinking a lot about how developers, um, I think a lot of times we're overly optimistic. In fact, you know, there's actually, oh, definitely. Especially, there's, estimation. especially for <laughs> estimates, that's exactly what I was going to get to. But even sometimes you can be overly optimistic about features to implement because, you know, and it's even, it's funny because I think we tend to be to, to stop and worry about like, okay, that might be hard. That might be tough. And we'll say that we'll say that we'll be like, Oh, I don't know. That sounds pretty tough. But then still when the time comes to implement it, we don't understand the bumps in the road. And I can, it reminds me of a system that I worked on that, um, it was basically all about letting uh, guests at events, you know, basically get together and take pictures. It was just a digital photo booth, except that the digital photo booth used to use just a standard webcam that you might um, just buy, you know, and put on top of your monitor. And Those took okay pictures. Um, now you can buy, I mean, even the one that I'm on right now is high definition. But I think what happened was, is the person who had this photo booth said, man, I, I, I think if we could just hook up a high quality camera, like, you know, um, like a DSLR camera, then we could take awesome pictures. And so the problem was, is that the developers who were asked to do this um, were said, we already have an existing system. And what we want you to do is just upgrade the photo booth to use this high resolution camera and uh, don't worry we've already got the back end server you just pump the picture down there and then high resolution photos will come up on our website for the for the end user so this was the mistake the mistake was was set in cast was in stone from moment 1 you only have to touch the photo booth don't worry mm-hmm. And sure, sure, the developers, we all said they, okay, well, that makes sense. I mean, you you say you have yeah, this. Yeah, take two hours real quick. Yeah, you say, yeah, right. This shouldn't be too hard. You say you have a backend server that you just pump pictures to and it puts them on the website for the for the guests. That sounds great. Sure, we'll replace the camera. So that work was done. It, and it actually, to be fair, this actually isn't the story. It was a little bit harder than we thought, but not, you know, it, it wasn't the end of the world. No deadlines are missed or anything. But the night of the event, and I'm talking, you know, and again, without giving away the product or customers or anything like that, a huge music festival where you've got partygoers coming. Yeah, pictures. Well, they started complaining that the photos weren't any better. And I was like, what? What do you, how is that even possible? I mean, it's using this high resolution camera. We're pumping down huge images and, and, um, it turns out that this this pre-built in-place server had a little piece of code that nobody knew about. It took any image (laughs) and scaled it to the final resolution that showed up on the website. (laughs) So it took this DSLR camera image that was super high res, like greater than 1080p, like we're talking 4K quality, turned it into 640 by 480 and put it up on the website. Oh, and threw away (laughs) away the the, the high resolution (laughs) bits. But the, was that the a step too? Sixteen no.
2: pixel big map.
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just that it wasn't any better, right? So we upgraded yeah, all of this front end equipment. We upgraded all of this front end equipment. Did what they said. Just send it to our server. Everything will be great. Without, but the mistake that both the customer made and and the vendor made, and we were the vendor, was being optimistic. Oh, you just want us to touch the front end, and everything will be fine. Great. So overly optimistic, didn't bother to, to stop and say, like, well, wait a second, when we send you this 4K picture, are you sure it's going to work? A simple test before the project even began would have revealed mm-hmm. that flaw, right? hmm mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Or, or a few days into it, once you were getting a new picture, just testing on the website, go, wait, right. why is it still not high res?
0: Or theoretically, we could have opened up Photoshop and made an image that was 4K yeah. and just said, hey, <laughs> how does this look on the web? Oh, wait, it's not working. Are you maybe 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 this isn't going Shorter to work maybe just... there's more yeah. work to do here. <laughs> yeah, we were we were actually on
1: that project together. I remember it, we were so into um getting the camera to work. We had yeah, so many issues it was with be that so that, cool. that we were just Yeah, I mean the moment that the file ended up on the server, we were just like we we did it, we're done. This is awesome. We just all <laughs> wanted to go home because we'd spent hundreds of hours just getting the the darn camera to work. But and then the fix was on the website, the website was existing code that was written in Ruby, right? Yep. And so the customer goes, uh, well, that developer isn't really around anymore. Yeah. And uh, do you guys know Ruby? And we're like, mm, no, nah, we don't know <laughs> Ruby. We'll take a stab at it. Yeah. So well, one of us went in and just kind of deleted those two lines. I think that was the fix, right? Wasn't it literally just delete those two that was lines? the scaling just,
0: code. Just allow the original image to go through. Yeah. There was just yeah. some piece of code that scaled. And I, who knows what the reason was for it, right?
1: <laughs> they
0: probably wanted to save space. Yeah. 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 But we were over-optimistic about features and not even... So it's not even about scheduling because we've all probably been there with the scheduling. Like, oh, we can bang this out. and And I've even been there... With the overly pessimistic schedule. And it drives me nuts that I said, Boy, I really thought, I really thought I was being appropriately pessimistic about this. And we're still Uh late. (laughs) Like, what's happening here? What is this world coming to? Yeah. I did
1: the original (laughs) take the estimate and then double it. And we're still over. Yeah.
0: What's going on?
2: (laughs) So it's it's funny you guys bring it up. Every estimate I do, the very last task I have, and I learned this from some other people is called stabilization integration and it's always 40 hours yeah And then people always ask me what's that i'm like that is basically we're all said and done and all the codes checked in just making sure it all just works together You're like we still need another <sighs> week there's just no big surprise because you had five different developers working on different things and everything looks great but then one piece of code gets checked in at the end and it just blows everything up or doesn't work well yeah. that's what's,
1: what continuous integration is supposed to be uh helping with right continuous integration continuous deployment those things
2: That helps the process. That doesn't would not solve that problem for sure.
1: Yeah. I I had a story with, uh, with that involved performance too, trying to eke out performance. This was, this was the same organization that I had the, uh, the biz talk issue with was uh, I was, uh, I was in charge of, of the website. And so I was, I was making some changes to the website code and we wanted to make some, make the pages faster. Right. So of course let's use caching. It's cache And, um, I didn't have the excuse of being a junior developer at this time. This was just a stupid mistake. Um, and so I'm going through and you know, I go and make some, some changes and I forget exactly what it was that I was caching. But, but basically I wanted to take um, the data that was in the page, not the final rendered HTML, but the data that was in the page and then cache that data. But I had to use some cache key. So I went and took some, something that was unique in the page and I used that as the cache key and I went and chucked it in, put it into production. And then the, the day after the release, um, there's like this fire drill. And everybody's freaking out because the site was restarting every 10 minutes. Like the the the, uh, the server, the app pool was just getting overloaded um, due to what looked like a memory leak, right? So it was hitting that memory, um, th- that memory limit every like 10 minutes and then just restarting. But, I mean, it was really bad, right? And if you looked at the server, it was clear that there was just serious issues that we had all these app pool recycles. So they took the whole team and they locked me and like three other guys and they locked us in a room for uh, what ended up being five days and they they called it the war room like we we literally we were dedicated to this room this is where we reported to every single day until this issue was discovered and fixed and and put out into production and so me and these three other guys are just pouring through the code pouring through the changes man i don't know what it could be i don't know I, what was the last change that went out i don't know what is this and so we're going through and finally on day 3 or 4 one of the other guys found it and he goes Hey Jess, this line of code that you wrote a couple weeks ago, uh, where, where you're caching this, um, this is ASP.NET right Web Forms site. He says I, I see you're using the Page object as the cache key. Now, if you're not familiar with Web Forms or ASP.NET, the Page object is the root object of a whole bunch of other stuff. It has references to HTTP context and session and like everything, right? And so in order to turn it into the cache key, ASP.NET went and serialized it. Oh, <laughs> mercy. So it would go and it would serialize <laughs> the entire page object into a cache key, which itself was, it ended up being, uh, I think, 180 megs per <laughs> per thing. That was my cache For the key. key. So... For the key. For the key itself. So clearly that wasn't unique. It was never, ever going to get hit. So I never had a cache hit. And the data mind you, the data that I was trying to cache was probably like thirty K or something like that in the first place. And so yeah. So we, we found that. Three megabytes uh, for thirty K key yes was a serialized object that was 180k and so you know you get a couple hundred visitors to the site and then all of a sudden the uh the app pulls recycling because you're running out of memory yeah right so of course somebody else found it and we very quickly fixed it with a much more sensible cache key which would be literally anything else yeah. um and and it was fun <laughs> and we went out and we <laughs> fixed it and everything was great again and, yeah, I don't know. I, I never actually got – I didn't, like, get in trouble. I haven't gotten in trouble for any of these things. You know, like, for the BizTalk thing, my boss was, like, a little upset with me. I mean, probably a lot upset with me. He, he expressed to me that he was a little upset. Um, but, like, deleting the production database, nothing happened to me. You know, d- taking forever on the BizTalk solution, nothing really happened to me. F- using this gigantic cache uh, key, nothing <laughs> – taking down the whole
0: site, nothing happened. I don't – you're still working. Maybe
1: something should have. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm still a developer.
0: I will credit your manager for having a plan for that production database, though, because could you imagine if they didn't, then it might, you know, oh, yeah. somebody's yeah. head might just roll. Just, some just to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to, I don't know. The story would end very Makes you feel better,
1: I guess. I didn't even appreciate it at the time, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's like every year that goes by as I get more and more experience and I see these things and, and hear about these things, I'm just like, wow, they were way ahead of their time. Like they yeah. were, they they really had it that they could recover from this in like hours. Like it was, it was. Oh, yeah. it wasn't would, impressive. There that there
2: would take some folks days down they for days, in right? days, let alone hours. Yeah, yeah. Because for Todd's yeah, group, yeah. you
0: had to drive a hundred miles and go to the secret <laughs> vault. <laughs> And get the key from yeah. from Wilbur, the hermit who lives at this bank, apparently. <laughs> I mean... And you may or may not
2: have the right software. We ain't seen I a visitor in three months.
0: And then you go in there and open the... <laughs> or in my case, I had, like, you know, the Matrix along with me. In order to... <laughs> I, you know, I still, to this day, I've never, never once before seen... At, at that time, I had never seen glasses that were monitors vga monitors and since i've never seen them i mean now they'd be pretty antiquated um they should be hdmi glasses but yeah it just was the weirdest thing that he just had this and now granted i found out later that that they had gotten them for the text for that exact purpose but i just thought wow i got really lucky here (laughs) so you know working on that same project um one of the things that we made the mistake of thinking was that everything was going fine. In fact, we used to get these status reports from Disney that, um, the CD system's great. And it wasn't until years later when the system was removed from the parks and mothballed and everything that I actually found a tribute website to Disneyland forever. I don't actually know if it still exists. I haven't looked every, in, in nice. a little bit of vanity, I would look every few years. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things they talked about on the site was all the problems the system had. It was always down. The CD writer book. I'm like, oh, why not? I was nice. the freaking developer on that project. How did I not hear? They kept telling us that it was running pretty well. And it just was the right hand not talking to the left hand. We were talking to Imagineers. The people we really needed to be talking to were the frontline cast members working in the stores. And what I kind of learned from that is how important it is to talk to your customers. If you know, you can either get your boss or your organization or your company to just look, you got to let the engineers hear from the customers. I don't, I don't mean it's that I want to be placed in front of them. I want to hear from them. You know, I want to know what's the the pain that they're going through. And uh, so I'd heard years later that a lot of people complained about that system. And that made me feel a little sad, ironically. So this is the, this is where everything comes full circle. One of the complainers is actually my wife, <laughs> who was a <laughs> cast member who worked on main street in the music store, and said, "Oh God, I had to deal with that stupid system." And I was like, "Oh,
2: yeah, <laughs> stupid, <a> great- stupid." <laughs> Does yeah. that still
0: come up in fights today? No, no. <laughs> so she, <laughs> so you know, imagine we're just talking, like, "Oh yeah, I worked on that." That Di- well, so I knew, I knew I could just use the system by name, knowing she was a cast member, yeah, right? Yeah. It's so like, yeah. oh, I worked on Disneyland forever. She's like, you did that thing was broken all the time, and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah it was, Chris the was like lead. okay wow this is a sore bitter spot she was like oh it never worked right and i was like what do you mean and she's like telling me this litany of problems going like oh, i never heard about this that's awesome so now i'm yeah. apologizing like well i'm really sorry that it that i made it tough for you when you were you know a teenager working in disney or whatever it was i don't know i guess we were in college or a little bit after that but yeah. Yeah. Well that's the war story I- that continues. That 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 war
1: story continues for me to this day is wanting to have a, a deeper, more integrated discussion with the customers, but they're just never available. Right. I mean it's just you it, I that that's what that's what agile is all about right that's what iterative development is all about that's what scrum is you know let's let's get everybody in the same room and let's have these stakeholders and they're coming in and but stakeholders are busy being stakeholders right the the system experts the the subject matter experts are busy doing the subject matter right yeah, they're busy yeah. being the experts mm-hmm. like they don't have time for you no matter how invested in the system you are and right I mean, and I'm that not isn't, at all poo-pooing Agile or Scrum or anything like that's That's great. I love it. I want it to happen. I'm just saying I've never actually seen it happen. I've never even heard of a firsthand account of it happening. And I've been explicitly disallowed to talk to the customer directly. Right, right. Like you don't I've want seen, those socially awkward developers talking to customers.
0: Are you crazy? Yeah. Or what I've seen is is that somebody sits as proxy to those stakeholders I'm seeing that in the organizations that I've worked in where, okay, we're a scrum team, we're an agile team, and this person here who is an employee just like you, he'll represent the customer. And it's like, well, they're not the customer. (laughs) And then what's worse is that you have your sprint demos and they don't show up. And it's like, well, wait, who am I demoing to? Yep. I I need your feedback. I need you to tell me this sucks, right? Like, I need you to tell me, no, this isn't helping me. Yeah, yeah. I've been in cases
2: where we were built this entire system. The entire UI was built around this one person's viewpoint. Yes, this is correct. This is exactly what I want. And then they brought in the actual end user and the end user told them and goes, this is like a hundred times harder than we ever used. And just the look on the other person's face, I was in there like, "Uh, okay, what am I going to say now? And then the other person (laughs) looked like, Oh, I thought this would make your job easier. And they're like, no, this doesn't do anything I do.
1: Yeah. That's why I had to
2: talk to him, but it took another month or so.
1: Yeah, that's what I get most of all are people who are not developers, the people who are not sitting right next to me, people who are not even project managers or analysts or anything. They really are, you know, thought of as system magic system um uh, system experts, but what they really are like the managers of the people who use the system. Yeah. Right? Or you know, and the person they- that got
2: stuck going to the meetings. <laughs>
1: Yeah, right. And so, you know, they are close to the people using the systems, but they're not actually the people using the system. So, yeah. you know, they think they know, but they really yeah. don't when it comes they have down a different, to it. On different perspective. Yeah. Of course,
2: my, my old time favorite ones, and I have ran this at least twice, maybe a third time. You work with this one guy. You're doing agile. You think you're doing it right. You have the customers literally sitting at your desk, walking you through, like, I want this button to be here. I want this to all to be there. And great. Everything works great. And the, either that person leaves the project or leaves the organization. And everybody else you talk to is like, "But well, where'd you get this in from? Well, I got it from Joe, whatever, or doctor, whatever. Well, I don't yeah. like him. So whatever he said is totally wrong. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't I do it. I don't care. That <laughs> That's just totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, we. we I'm not going to accept this. It's because he said it. Nope. Because he said it, I can't have this. <laughs> so what do you want? And they'll redescribe describe it. And it's like, it's the same thing, but the text and the button's different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. He wanted it that know. way.
1: I think this might be turning into a new episode. Agile. <laughs> yes. Um,
2: <strong laughs> horror End user horror stories.
1: <laughs> so I guess we're coming up on an, uh, on an hour. So I, I think we'll wrap it up. So you, listener, do you have any good word, stories that you'd like to share? We'd love to hear about them. Uh, please leave a comment on the website, staticvoidpodcast.com, or send an email to comments at com. And as always, if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, please feel free to let us know through those same channels. We want to make sure we're talking about the things that you want to hear about. And uh, Todd, Chris, thanks for the chat. This yeah. was pretty awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you, listener, for spending the time with us. We hope that you enjoyed it. And we look forward to seeing you next time on the Static Boyd Podcast.